we'll ever be put into songs or tales. What? I wonder if people will ever say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, it's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was really courageous, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy. The most famousest of hobbits. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> You've left out one of the chief characters. Samwise the Brave. I want to hear more about Sam. Frodo wouldn't have got far without Sam. Now, Mr. Frodo, you shouldn't make fun. I was being serious. So was I. Samwise the Brave. Frodo wouldn't have gotten far without Sam. If you know this story, you know how true this is. The Lord of the Rings was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and it was initially published in the 1950s in three books, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. These novels were then released as a three-movie epic trilogy starting in 2001, following a group of sometimes reluctant heroes who set out to save their world from evil. These stories are at the very top of my personal list of great books and movies. Preparing for this message actually gave me the great opportunity to rewatch the movies with my son uh, and discuss the topics with my family, uh, which was a lot of fun in and of itself. So in the video clip, we saw Frodo and Sam talking about how they might be remembered. Now, I suppose it just might be possible that some of you have not actually seen The Lord of the Rings, so I'll try to tell you a little bit uh, without spoiling the adventure for you. The movies are about many things. Change, war, relationships, treachery, and courage in the face of insurmountable odds. But the heart of the story is the friendship between Sam and Frodo. In fact, it can be argued that their quest to save the world would have failed without the friendship of those two hobbits. So, what is a hobbit, you might ask? Well, a hobbits are about three to four feet tall, with slightly pointed ears and furry feet. Hobbits love peace and quiet, have a gentle disposition and are kind. They love their food and drink, and they love gardening. They live in a quaint place called the Shire, where life is good, easygoing, and most of all comfortable. Hardly the setting for the making of heroes. Regarding the story of Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee, Frodo was a well-to-do hobbit. He had a rich and famous uncle, while Sam was just a gardener. In fact, he was Frodo's gardener. But despite those, their differences, they were the best friends. But the, their relationship was about to be tested to the extreme. We will see today that the literary, literary roots of this story came from real-life friendships and relationships and are closely tied in biblical foundations. Before we get into that, and as seen in a movie, friendships often spring from where we least expect them. When I was a student at the University of Cincinnati, I lived on the ninth floor of a dorm. The windows in my room slid open, but you couldn't remove the screen. However, in my window, the screen was bent out such that I could actually look straight down to the ground below. When I, looked so, when I looked down, it just so happened that the screen of the room below me leaned out just at the perfect angle that I might be able to drop something down there. 
The temptation was too great. And I dropped some pizza crust. And it worked right into the room below me. Over the next few weeks, from time to time, I would discard things, trying to get them into the room below me. It sort of became a thing, and guys from my floor would come around and drop things down into that room. One night, very late, I decided to start dropping pennies. One penny every five seconds or so. This went on for a while until there was a knock on the door. I went to the door, and there was a not entirely happy-looking dude standing there with a handful of pennies. The jig was up. Well, fast forward five years or so, and we were best men at each other's wedding. Okay, so back to the question of what is friendship. I looked friendship up in a dictionary to see what it had to say. And it said, the state of being friends. I know, right? Come on. I, I looked at that. I thought maybe I'd find some great sage-like wisdom. Uh, but nope. And I realized then I couldn't actually use that definition in my message. So then I looked up quotes online. And I thought they might be worth sharing. So we got friends buy you food. Best friends eat your food. Friends are the chocolate chips and the cookie of life. Good friends are like stars. You can't always see them, but you know they're there. So those are nice quotes, and I couldn't help but notice that two-thirds of them were about food. But instead of using the dictionary of those quotes, <clears throat> several weeks ago, we conducted an informal poll on the Impact Facebook page where we asked people to list what they thought was the most important quality of being a true friend. Here's what people come up, came up with. Compassion. Constant. Faithful, honest, loving, loyal, staying, being there, trusting, and unconditional. And wow, that's an awesome list. Much better than a dictionary. Our Facebook friends clearly set a theme for what it means to be a friend. Friends are there through thick and thin. We're going to talk a lot about friendship today. And I imagine each of you may be thinking of specific friends in your life. My biggest encouragement today is that when, you talk about, when we talk about what it means to be a friend, think of yourself and how you should act. Don't think about how your friend could be a better friend or, or do things better. Think about these things today and how you could do better yourself. Stories of great friendship are told all throughout recorded history. The concept of friendship is so interwoven into our fabric that you see it everywhere. Today we're going to take a good look into the lives and friendship of David and Jonathan which takes place likely a little before 1000 B.C., as told in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. Now, before we talk about those, those guys, first we need to set the scene. There was a king named Saul. Saul was a powerful king. He commanded massive armies and garnered much fame throughout the land. He eventually had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan grew into a great warrior of his own right. They had land, they had wealth, and they had fame. David, on the other hand, was from an average family, was one of many sons of Jesse, and was just a shepherd. However, God had big plans for David. David eventually became a harpist in the palace to soothe the king. Then as time went on, King Saul became more and more fond of David, eventually promoting him to be an armor-bearer in the army. The next time we see David is in the famous story when the entire Philistine army was camped across the battle lines from Saul's Israelite army. The Philistines had great armor, great weapons, and a massive warrior named Goliath, who was over nine feet tall. Day after day, Goliath mocked the Israelites, offering single combat, 
to any Israelite to end the conflict. Nobody was going to face Goliath until David stepped to the plate. Perhaps you know the story. Despite his age and size, he struck down Goliath with a sling and a stone and led the Israelites to an unlikely victory. But David had a key advantage. He had put his faith completely in God, and God was with him. As a shepherd, he had already killed a lion and a bear while protecting his flock and was confident that God would lead him to victory against Goliath. So that brings us to the story of David and Jonathan. Let's start reading from 1 Samuel chapter 18, which picks up right after David has killed Goliath. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. So think about what just happened. David had just slain Goliath in a massive upset that would have bankrupted Vegas. David the shepherd turned harpist was now David the giant slayer. He was a blooming hero, the talk of the nation. Jonathan clearly was a witness to all this. But instead of jealousy or resentment, he must have thought David was awesome. And he and David became best friends. Things were going, going well. On top of the growing friendship, King Saul became even more dependent upon David and wanted to keep him close. Times are good when a king depends on you and you are best friends with a king's son. Let's continue on in verses 3 and 4. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. We don't exactly know the terms of that covenant, but clearly included a pledge of friendship and mutual loyalty. This covenant was a big deal. A covenant is so much more than a contract. Covenant is rooted in promise and relationship. It implies a bond that cannot be broken except by death. This was even more monumental given their differences. Even more than Sam and Frodo, uh, David and John, Jonathan came from entirely different backgrounds. David was a shepherd. Jonathan was a prince. David was just the eighth son from a guy in Bethlehem, and while Jonathan was a king's firstborn and in line to inherit the throne. Despite so many differences, this was the beginning of one of the greatest friendships of all time. And things are just starting to get good. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that, God, that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tambourines and lutes. Things were going great. The king had raised up his own champion, and David was winning great battles and making the king very successful. I can also imagine that the relationship between David and Jonathan was just getting better and better. They now had something in common. They were now both great warriors. And now David is returning home victorious and is no longer just a kid playing the harp for the king. He's a returning war hero. But things didn't turn out as you might expect. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get from, but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Things had been going great until the king believed that David's popularity had surpassed his own when he heard him singing in the street. 
Next in the story, a lot happens and things continue to go quickly downhill. But I'll try to just list some of the highlights for a bit. The very next day, Saul tries to kill David with a spear. But David eludes him twice. He then sends David off into battle multiple times, hoping that he won't survive. But David just continues to succeed. And even Saul's daughter falls in love with David and they're married. So as we move into chapter 19, we start to see the friendship of David and Jonathan be put to the test. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. This leads us to the first takeaway from David and Jonathan's friendship. A true friend is there through thick and thin. Jonathan has every opportunity to be jealous of David, just as Saul was, but their friendship was too strong. Can you imagine being the son of the king who confides in you that he's about to kill your best friend? What does Jonathan do? Well, he goes to bat for David. He stands by him, and in the next few verses, he convinces Saul not to kill David. Eventually, after some time passes, David learns of another plot to kill him, and goes to Jonathan for help. They devise a plan while Jonathan will cover for David's absence. But when the king finds out, he even tries to kill his own son. Jonathan was willing to give it all, his inheritance and his life, if necessary, for his friend. There's a song I really like from a group called Jeff Moore in the Distance called A Friend Like You with words as follows. Friends through thick and thin, friends to the very end. I think you would agree. That's how it is. For you and me. Do you remember what I said about hobbits? They lived in a shire where everything was peaceful and quiet, sort of their own utopia. Well, up until now, hobbits almost never left their corner of the world. To leave would be out of character and be frowned upon. Well, sometimes friendship takes us out of our comfort zone and takes us to places that we might not have gone otherwise. Let's take a look at this video clip from early on in the first movie, The Fellowship of the Rings. This is it. This is what? If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door. That's a great scene. It's much more powerful than just taking the step itself. By taking that step, Sam is leaving behind everything for his friend. He's leaving behind a shire, which means leaving his life of comfort and contentment. Because his friend needed him on a quest of great significance. You see, friendship involves sacrifice. A friendship will not last long if either person cares more for their own concerns and is unable to put aside their own desires for the sake of their friend. As we saw in our Facebook poll, what makes a friendship thrive are the traits that involve sacrifice. In practices include sacrificing time, resources, emotional energy, and preferences. It means sticking with them, not only in their successes, but their failures as well. It involves forgiveness and love. The irony here 
is that this sacrifice leads to joy. Joy doesn't come from selfishness or the inability to forgive. Joy comes in giving of ourselves to others. When we learn that happiness does not actually come from having our lives revolve around ourselves, we will have made a significant step towards happiness itself. In John 15, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay his life down for his friends. Jesus set the bar high, but it was a bar he convincingly met because he did give up his life for his friends, his disciples, and you and me. The second takeaway we have in true friendship is friendship is an opportunity, never an obligation. I already mentioned that I went to the University of Cincinnati, and you may know that I'm a huge Bearcats fan. Well, I want to tell you about a great Bearcat and someone that epitomizes friendship at its finest. The story actually has great local ties here to Pittsburgh as well. Jack Twyman was born and raised in Pittsburgh, where he attended Central Catholic High School. He loved basketball, but was cut from the team three times before finally making the team his senior year, earning All-State honors. From Central Catholic, he went to the University of Cincinnati to become a star. As a Bearcat, he averaged over 24 points per game as a senior, earning All-America honors. He then played 11 seasons in the NBA with the Royals, who are now the Sacramento Kings, where he scored almost 16,000 points in his career, and his number has been retired. Considered one of the best pure shooting forwards in the NBA, he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1983. All those great statistics, yet that's not why he was remembered. Maurice Stokes was also a Pittsburgh kid, but from the town of Rankin. He went to Westinghouse High School, went to, went to St. Francis College, and eventually to the NBA, where he met Jack Twyman. On March 12, 1958, Stokes drove to the basket, crashed hard to the floor, and struck his head. Later, he lapsed into a coma. Diagnosed with post-traumatic brain damage, Stokes was virtually immobile and bedridden for the rest of his life. When Stokes' family could not pay his medical bills, Twyman had himself appointed his friend's legal guardian and began tirelessly raising money for his friend's expenses. Jack Twyman spent countless hours caring for Stokes and taught him to communicate by, by blinking his eyes. Eventually, some motor function returned to Stokes and he was able to type. His first message was, Dear Jack, how can I ever thank you? Twyman continued to be Stokes' legal guardian, friend, and advocate for the rest of Stokes' life. Last year, the New York Times did an article about this story and wrote, One day Jack was asked why he decided to make such a remarkable commitment to Maurice. And again, he shrugged his shoulders and said, Maurice needed someone. I became that someone. That phrase, become that someone, all these years later has become St. Francis University's motto. In 2013, the NBA began awarding the Twyman Stokes Teammate Award, which exemplifies selfless play, the ideal teammate, and commitment and dedication to his team. That award is still given annually at the end of each NBA season. To Twyman, this was not an obligation. Nobody made him do it. He did it for his friend. And we, when we have the opportunity to be that someone, we need to seize it. 
The story of the Lord of the Rings is populated by multiple key friendships and make up much of the backbone of the story. In fact, I almost wrote this message about the friendship of Gimli, who's a dwarf, and Legolas, an elf. And you see, dwarves and elves have this thing. Basically, they despise each other. But they ended up becoming great friends, fiercely defending each other. And there's a wonderful story there, all of its own. And given the common theme of key friendships in this story, I want to take a look at where the author found his examples of friendship. And we need to look no further than his personal life. J.R.R. Tolkien was a famed professor at the University of Oxford, and as we know, most famously known for The Lord of the Rings. He had some difficult times. War, followed by significant times of, of sickness, and through it all, he established many key friendships. His time in the war helped shape him. Tolkien's biographer, Bradley J. Beerser, wrote this. Though he spent less than a year in a war, it affected him deeply. Tolkien had lost several of his closest friends, and their loss, he believed, gave him an even greater duty to carry on their jointly conceived project, which was to do God's will in the world. Once he had returned from the war, an important step of his was founding a group called the Inklings. This was a group of guys that met routinely, often multiple times a week, at either Oxford University or the Eagle and Child Pub in Oxford. Who was a group of Christian men getting together to share in conversation, encouragement, and fun. You may have heard of one of the other main members of the Inklings, C.S. Lewis, who himself was one of the major authors of the time and whose Christian faith was at least partly due to Tolkien's influence. Have you ever stopped to think about the impact that you might be personally having on your friendships? What might blossom from the investment that you make? We know that C.S. Lewis went on to write The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the entire Chronicles of Narnia. He became a defender of the faith with book-challenging non-belief, such as Mere Christianity or Screwtape Letters. His personal bibliography is impressive and has been an inspiration to millions. See, friendship should be far from an obligation. It's an opportunity and an honor. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote this about his friend C.S. Lewis. The unpayable debt that I owe to Lewis was not influence as it is normally understood, but sheer encouragement. He was for long my only audience. Only from him did I ever get the idea that my stuff could be more than just a personal hobby. If that friendship hadn't grown into the deep and lasting friendship that it became, I expect they would not have risen to be the scholars and world-renowned authors that they would become. If not for that friendship, we might not have been introduced to Sam and Frodo. For someone that loves Lord of the Rings like I do, that's hard to imagine. The third takeaway from David and Jonathan's friendship is, a friend is someone who helps you find strength in God. Sometimes we need to lean on each other. Sometimes times are hard, and sometimes we need to ensure that our friend looks to God. In 1 Samuel 23, 16, uh, we read about this concept in this inspiring testimony of friendship. While David was at Horash in the desert of Ziph, he learned, learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. So once again, Saul is back at it and trying to kill David. The key piece I want to make sure you caught in that section is Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Be someone who helps others find strength in God. See, love pushes us to better places. 
True friendship will push you to God. Jonathan was far less concerned with his own place in the line to the throne than he was with his dedication and friendship with David. Throughout, throughout history, we hear stories of princes that want nothing more than to become king, even at the expense of their fathers or family members' lives. The faith that Jonathan and David shared was greater than worldly desires and helped keep others, each, each other's faith in focus. Recently, I've read the biography of Frederick Douglass by David Blight. Frederick De Douglass was born into slavery and became one of the most famous intellectuals of his time, advising presidents and lecturing to thousands on a range of causes, including women's rights and the abolition of slavery. His oratory skills were powerful, and his beliefs were even more powerful, driving his actions. As Frederick was growing into the man he would become, he met a man named Charles Lawson, who quickly became his deepest influence. Frederick listened to Lawson and loved him. They became spiritual companions, spending all available hours singing, praying, and glorifying God. Lawson gave Douglas two priceless gifts. One was faith, and the other was an insatiable desire for knowledge to the love of words. This friendship helped pave the way for who Frederick Douglass was to be and what he would accomplish. What are we putting into our friendships? What lasting gifts are we leaving for our friends? Charles Lawson helped Frederick Douglass in a way that led Douglass to say later that he felt that he was under the guidance of wisdom higher than his own. I don't know if Lawson understood the impact of his relationship with Frederick, but we can still feel it today. Don't underestimate the value of the investment that you make in your friends. Not all investments in life that we make will pay off, but this one has a high yield probability. At this point, I encourage each of you to do a little bit of self-inspection. Am I a true friend? Am I leading with encouragement? Am I willing to listen and empathize? Sometimes we need to go so much farther and carry our friend. In the third and final movie, The Return of the King, there is an epic scene. Sam and Frodo have been through so much together, and the trials of the adventure and weight of the burden is too much to bear, and Frodo can go no further. With their quest hanging on the edge of a knife, it takes every bit of energy and every bit of courage to push forward. Sam somehow summons the energy needed where there was none left and carries the quest on his shoulders. Sometimes that is precisely what we need to do for our friendships and what we must be willing to do. The relationships and sacrifices that Sam, Frodo, Jonathan, and David made for each other give us a timeless example of what it means to be a friend. I really encourage you to read the full story of David and Jonathan starting in 1 Samuel 18. I also encourage you to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy and consider those examples in your life. The Set the Movie series has been a fun series we've gone through over the, this past month together, starting with The Greatest Showman, The Matrix, Soul, and now the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We've talked about the power of Jesus and his ability to transfer our lives for his purpose. We've talked about life and dedicating ourselves to finishing the race strong. We talked about our purpose in life and giving the glory to God. And today, we've talked about friendships and understanding that biblical-based friendships truly can shape our lives in ways that not only have huge benefits for others, but major rewards in our lives. It's time to invest in our friendships and put more into them than we hope to receive. Hopefully, each of you have been thinking about specific friends, those relationships, and, and what you can do more. If we love our friends, we need to show them by our words and actions. 
We need to be concerned about them, care for them, and above all, be invested in their relationship with Jesus. Michael W. Smith wrote a powerful song called Friends, where the main theme is, friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. There it is, all summed up with those two lines. If you need to talk to someone today, maybe about a relationship that you're struggling with, or a relationship with Jesus that you're ready to dive into, we are here for you. There's a booth in the back of the room where people will be available to talk and pray with you, or even just listen. We want to connect with you and help you when you hurt. We want to help you grow as we go through life together. If you're watching online, there are people standing by right now that you can reach out. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have together today to come here and uh, sing and worship and praise you and, and study your word. I'd like to thank you for the gift of friendship uh, that we so often take for granted. A gift that not only brings joy, but brings, brings opportunity. Help us grow closer to you by looking towards the needs of others more than looking towards our own desires. Just be with us and help us become that someone. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.